here's kind of the opening thought. In life, we're going to face situations that cause us to spill what is inside of us. <laughs> May we be found to be full of thankfulness. Have you ever went through a situation in life where quickly you saw what was coming out of you and you were quite disappointed? Okay, or maybe you didn't see it and somebody else that loves you pointed it out to you and then you're like, wow, that is nasty. There is no way. And we talked last week and we used it as kind of an example that toddlers, they call them toddlers for a reason. And we take toddlers and we put grape juice in a cup and then we tighten it and then we let them walk around the house with it and then they spill grape juice and we get upset with them. Why would you be upset with a toddler for spilling? It's what they do. It's what they're supposed to do. So maybe we should make sure we're putting something else in the cup. How about some water instead? If it spills, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And there, I face things in life I've never faced before. Okay? I, a couple of weeks ago, had never faced a season where one of my children couldn't quit throwing up. And we were fighting it, and we were trying to hydrate her, and we're praying over her, and we're quoting the scriptures, and we're claiming the promises, and we're calling the doctor, and we talked to the emergency care personnel, and we're going through all this stuff, but she threw up for six days straight. I've never faced that before. I'm like, wait a second, we can faith our way through this. We have the authority of the Lord, right? How many of you believe that? We believe that we can move mountains in the name of Jesus. Why isn't this leaving? And you're dealing with it. But I want to make sure when I'm facing stuff I've never faced before that what spills out of me is something that honors and glorifies Jesus. I still want thankfulness to spill out of my life. So here's the, ins the insights that we've had this month. We've done four in a month. We're going to do two today. Number one, thankfulness opens the gate into God's presence. Now, I've got the biblical reference for each of these. We're not going to look them all up this morning, but thankfulness opens the gate into God's presence. Number two, thankfulness is a key to overcoming anxiousness. By the way, it's not the only key, but it's one of the keys to overcoming thankful, uh, anxiousness. Number three, thankfulness replaces harsh speaking. And number four, thankfulness is the right attitude when praying for others. So if you feel like you need to pray for somebody, make sure you're praying that for that person with a heart, an attitude of thankfulness as you're praying for them. And then the thought is this, overflowing with thankfulness is not a feeling, but it's an act of obedience as a follower of Christ. And we've mentioned this every week that it's too easy to just say thank you when somebody does something. But it's another thing to live with an attitude of thankfulness, whether we see what's being done at all or not, that we live with that attitude. And that actually came out of Colossians chapter 2, where Paul commanded the church, he said, overflow with thankfulness. Let people see that that's in your life. If you're going to overflow with something, let it be thankfulness. Let's move into some new stuff. And all God's people said, quickest review ever. Okay, here we go. Number five, thankfulness opens the door to the miraculous. How many need some miracles in your life? Anybody in a situation where you maybe could even use a miracle soon? All right? So let's talk about it then. Um, I'm not saying that thankfulness is going to make the miracle happen because God's the one that, that does miracles on our behalf. But thankfulness is another thing that we partner with so that we can see miraculous things take place. Now, before I read the verse, which you're all going to know, and if I put it up there, I don't want you to check out because you already know the verse. Before I share the verse with you, let me give you just a little bit of background for a moment. Remember in Genesis, when God speaks and he says, let us make man in our own image. 
And it's interesting because the singular word for God is simply L, capital E-L, L, God. But the plural word for God is Elohim. So it's interesting in Genesis when he says, let us make man in our own image, Elohim is saying that. You see the plurality of the singular. Now, we believe that God has revealed himself as a father, as the son, and as the Holy Spirit. How many know the Holy Spirit's not the it? He too is the person of God. We invite the Holy Spirit into the room. We're not just inviting an it into the room. We're inviting a person. Okay, so you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We were created in the image of God. So with that said, the image of God the Father is upon you. The image of God the Son is upon you. The image of God the Spirit is upon you. As a matter of fact, when I'm looking at you, I'm kind of looking at where you live. Have you ever looked in the mirror and go, dear Lord, that can't be me? Okay, be thankful. It is, but it isn't because you're in there. I remember my grandpa Riley used to say things like, Brad, I still feel like a teenager. And as a teenager looking at him, I'm like, you don't look like a teenager. But the older I get, the more I understand. My, his spirit still felt young and vibrant and alive. How many of you are getting a little older and you know what I'm talking about? You're like, I don't feel as old as I look. How many of you look in the mirror and go, God, grant me the ability to have short-term memory loss. <laughs> All right, so that I can just move on from this moment. So we're made in the image of God. Part of the way that you're made is you have a spirit, you have a soul, okay? It's going to live forever. So Elohim, let us make man in our image. Now with that said, I just want to remind you that a couple thousand years ago when Jesus put on flesh, Jesus wasn't created. And if we're not, if we're not careful, we'll look back at the moment of the incarnation and we'll think that's when Jesus started, And you'll even hear people say, well, your religion's only a couple thousand years old. No, Jesus put on flesh a couple thousand years ago, but Jesus has always been Jesus. He was always with the Father and with the Spirit, and the Spirit was always with the Son and the Father, and the Father's always been with the Spirit and the Son. God's always been God, Alpha and Omega. But 2,000 years ago, he put on clothing, okay? And the clothing was humanity, I walked in today and somebody said to me, and they're like, Pastor Brad, you're wearing pants. I'm like, I normally try to wear pants when I, like, when I come. To, they're like, well, you're wearing pants today. I'm like, well, I wore pants last week. And I, what I meant, I guess I wear jeans a lot, right? I'm like, well, of course I would. Thank you for noticing. Anybody else with pants on today? Thank you. All right. Thank you for the, and thank you for wearing them. We appreciate that. Jesus, he put on clothing and it was the clothing of flesh. Now, Jesus has always been Jesus, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something he had never done before. He put himself in a body. Son of God, son of man, in a body. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and divine seed was placed in her, and her egg received a divine seed, and you have the God-man. It's amazing. If Jesus did the miracles that he did because he was Jesus, then we're in trouble. But you see, when Jesus put on flesh, he went out and he spent a season of fasting and praying. And after 40 days of fasting and praying, Matthew shares this incredible revelation. Are you ready for this? He said, after Jesus had went 40 days without food, you ready? He was hungry. How many of you are learning something this morning? 
How many just even going four hours without food and you're hungry, okay? And it says after that time in the wilderness that he, was, he went to begin his ministry and he went to the region of Galilee full of the Spirit. Some translations say in the power of the Spirit. Here's where I'm going. Jesus didn't do any of the miracles that he did because he was the Son of God. Jesus did the miracles that he did because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, if he looks at you and me and says something crazy like, hey, you can do greater things than I did. How many of you are not Jesus? Okay, a lot of husbands raised their hand. Ladies, I need some honesty in the room, all right? How many of us are not Jesus? And we know that. We weren't the only begotten of the Father. We weren't divinely overshadowed, right? We get that. I can't do miracles because I'm divine. I can do miracles because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I can do miracles because I'm obedient to the Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. I don't say anything unless I hear my Father saying it. So when you look at the life of Jesus, here's some things that you can be assured of. All the miracles that he did, he didn't shortcut the system. He didn't do the miracles because he was divine. He did the miracles because he was filled with the Spirit. He did the miracles because he was watching what the Father was doing, and he duplicated it. He got a vision of heaven, and he brought heaven to earth in obedience. Here's a beautiful thing. If any of you went to testify at a different church this morning, and you stood up and you said, I want to start my testimony by saying, I can do greater things than Jesus. How many of you know the elders would be ready to grab you and take you off the platform? And yet, if you said that, you would actually be quoting Jesus. He's the one that said it, and you're crazy enough to believe it, or at least we're supposed to. So with that said, thankfulness opens the door to the miraculous. There are several times in the scriptures when you look at the life of Jesus that miracles happened after a divine moment of thanks. He would, he would express thankfulness. Well, why would he do that? Well, he was only doing what the Father was showing him. So I wonder if thankfulness is taking place in heaven, if Jesus is duplicating thankfulness on earth. Let's look in. Uh, oh, here's your think about it, and we'll get into it. Jesus didn't do his miracles because he was Jesus, but because he walked in the power of the Spirit and obedience to his Father. Now, I love that because if this is true, and I believe biblically it is, then we can too. We can too. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 17 to 19. And like I said, you guys know this passage. It's very familiar. Jesus has been ministering. He knows that the people are hungry. He says to the disciples, hey, let's take care of these people. Hey, let's, let, let, let's, let's provide for them. As a matter of fact, the disciples kind of started the conversation. They're like, hey, you know what? The stores are going to close soon. These people are starving. We need to send them away so that they can buy some food. And Jesus is like, well, why don't you guys take care of it? And they're like, whoa, we just wanted to point out the problem. We didn't want to be part of the solution. How many have people in your life that are the same way? Okay. They just wanted to point out the problem. They didn't want to be involved in the solution. But thankfully, they found something. And they said, well, here we have only. And I love how they said only. Because if I only had five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, that's more than enough for me. But they were looking at the size of what they had in comparison to the size of the crowd. Now, 
I don't think that the Lord wants us to worry about the size of the need. I think he wants us to focus on what he's already provided because if you take what he's provided and you put it in the hands of Jehovah Jireh, it's always more than enough. So they have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Now, you can't get a more beautiful example of him focusing on what his father is doing. And I love that Matthew wasn't the only one that pointed that out. Luke, when he recorded this as well, he also pointed it out that Jesus took the time to look up to heaven. It doesn't say that every time that he prayed. But it says it when it, when it talks about the feeding of the 5,000, that he takes the time, he looks up to heaven, and he gave thanks. He didn't look up to heaven and say, Father, we don't have enough. I mean, you're talking 5,000 men. As a matter of fact, scripturally, to be a man, you had to be 20 years of, uh, of age, at least 20 years of age or older. So when it says that there were 5,000 people that were fed through this miracle, you're really only counting 20-year-old men and older. It's not counting the women. It's not counting the children. We truly don't even know how big this crowd was. It could have been 10, 15, 20,000 people. Five loaves, two fish. It doesn't matter. You give thanks. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks the loaves. He gives to the disciples, and the disciples give them to the people. And you all know the story. After they've provided, Scripture says, until everyone is satisfied. Have you ever eaten until you're satisfied? You're an American. Have you ever eaten until you're more than satisfied? Most of the time, we tend to eat till we're more than satisfied. I can't eat another thing. We have milkshakes. Oh, bring one over. Bring one over. God will grant me the space and the grace, right? Okay, I hate pumpkin pie. How about a pumpkin roll? Ooh, I've never tried a pumpkin roll. This should be fantastic. And bring more whipped cream. As long as you have whipped cream, everything's going to be fine, right? Okay, we receive it. Give me a little more. God, grant me an extra belly over Thanksgiving that I might receive it, Father. Okay? Now, it didn't say they were oversatisfied, but it said they were satisfied. And when they were, when they were done, 12 basketfuls of pieces were left over. Now, I've often wondered, we don't really know what happened to that excess. I've wondered if the little boy that gave the lunch got to take it home. Mom, look, you really do reap what you sow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I've wondered, did each disciple carry it and provide for some needy people in the, uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel? We really don't know. Here's what we do learn in this moment, though. Here's the think about it. God provides extravagantly, but he doesn't waste the resources. It was more than enough. It was more than enough than the crowd of 10 to 20,000 people needed. And even though it was extravagant, it was crazy blessing, he didn't waste what was there. It was gathered, it was gathered for a reason. One of each of the disciples got to carry it off. Is it possible that if we were more thankful for what we already have, that it might multiply to meet what we need? I'm just asking the question. Is it possible if we were more thankful for what we already have? I, I'm, I'm preaching to other people just like me. Are there ever times that you get overwhelmed by the size of the need and you wonder, God, how? Lord, I don't know how you can do this. And you look at what you have in comparison to what's needed. I remember when I was in uh, university at North Central back in the day, and the president of our Bible college would speak every once in a while. And when you're, when you're dealing with the Bible college, they constantly had needs. And he would say things, 
like this to us. Students, I know that God's going to take care of your need for your bill because he takes care of our school. You just, you just need to have a faith that has less zeros on the end of the number than what I have to have. But I still have to believe for it. Did some of you think that you would get to a point that you didn't need faith anymore? You're like, well, when we were young and we were newlyweds, we wanted to exercise our faith and find out that God was faithful so that we could build the security and not have to worry about faith anymore. That's not the way that it works. We have to believe God for numbers with more zeros now than we used to have to believe him for. But that's okay because my God doesn't supply according to the need. My God supplies it to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Think about it. It says in Philippians that my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. It never said that he would meet your need according to your need. It meet, he meets your need according to his riches. And where are his riches? His riches are in glory. Where's glory? Well, it's not heaven. Glory in the, in the Hebrew is the kavod. And in the, in the Greek, it's, the, it's the, the doxa. It's the place of the tangible presence of God. Have you ever been in a moment of worship where you could actually feel the presence of God? Guess what? The glory just walked in. And in that moment of his glory, in that moment of his presence, he will meet that need. I kind of wonder if Jesus was looking toward the glory of the Father. As a matter of fact, the same cloud that covered over the Israelites by day when they went through the wilderness and the same fire that covered over them by night when they were in the wilderness, we're, we tend to think of that as a big sign and wonder, but have you ever thought of the practicality of that? That in the desert when the sun is shining down on you in the middle of the day and it's 130 degrees outside, that God covers you with the cloud of his presence to shade you. That in the night when the sun goes down and the temperatures drop and you're cold, that his presence shows up like a pillar of fire. Beth loves it when winter gets here. She loves it. Beth loves the house cold. All seasons, all the time. She wants us to freeze the AC out and lock that thing up at least once a month in the summer. Now, she loves it cold in the house. We don't turn the heat up that high in the winter, but she sure loves the fire. And I'm glad that she does because I sit with my feet as close to that fire as possible because the house is frigid, you can see your breath, but at least we have fire. It's very practical. I get that the glory of the Lord, the pill, how amazing that had to be, but how practical. And it was more than they needed. There was so much manna provided for them every day that he even said, don't take more than you need except on the day before Sabbath because on Sabbath, I want you to hang out with me. On Sabbath, I don't want you to fiddle around with gathering manna. But on the other days, just, just take what you need. And it said that it would just dissipate as the sun came up. God wasn't worried about it. There's more, there's more. He's like, you've got enough, let it go. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm the same God yesterday and today. I'm going to be your same God tomorrow. You're not, you're not going to be missed tomorrow. I'll provide for you tomorrow. I'm going to take care of what you need because it's not according to what you need. It's according to my glorious riches. It's according to my presence. My goodness, five loaves, two fish. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you, Father, because you're Jehovah Jireh you don't even need the five loaves and two fish to provide for these people. 
You didn't need it when they were in the wilderness, and you spoke the word, and provision took place. Do you know that God's word says that they were provided for by manna, and then we're told in the New Testament that Jesus is the manna. He is the word. They traveled through the wilderness, and God would just speak over his people, provision. And as he would say it, it would settle over the valley, and they would pick it up and receive the bread of life. I wonder if that was pointing us towards something. Church, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the economy. You don't have to worry about the stack of bills. God's got it under control. What you have is enough when you put it in the hands of the master and you thank God for what's been provided for. Wouldn't it be amazing to see a $10,000 bill taken care of with a $100 bill? Wouldn't that be amazing? He can do it. How about a God provide a $10 million building for $100,000? I mean, is there anything impossible for him? We've just got to enter in with thanks. Look in Matthew chapter, uh, I don't know, where am I? I've lost track. Oh, I skipped, a, did I, have I read this already? Okay, I'm having a deja vu. All right. Did I preach here this morning? I did. I preached earlier. Okay, that's what's going on. Matthew 15, 35 to 37, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish. You're going, oh, the, the author got it wrong. No, this is a different time. He fed the 5,000 plus women and children, but now he's got seven loaves and fish. He gave thanks. He broke them, not the children, and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate. They were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And did I mention that this crowd had followed him for three days without eating? Three days without eating, and there were still leftovers. I mean, come on. Macy, um, Macy Thornton and Sophia Riley, they've been really good friends since the, I mean, virtually the day they were born. And they say that they're BFFs. How many know what that stands for? Bottomless fries forever. <laughs> bottomless fries forever. So they're like, you're my BFF. You're my bottomless fries forever. So they've obviously been to Red Robin too many times. Okay. You'll, you'll never exhaust his resources. You just, not when you enter in with thankfulness. So he gives thanks and he feeds 5,000. He gives thanks and he feeds 4,000. Oh, by the way, before he was crucified, he had a meal with his disciples and he took bread and once again he broke it and he said, thank you, Father. And he gave thanks and then he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And I'm not going to eat again until we're in the newness of the kingdom. And by the way, three days after he died, he rose and then he shows up to his disciples and he walks in and he takes bread and he breaks it and he thanks the father for it and he eats with them. What is it about Jesus and thankfulness? Well, he's led of the spirit. So I guess thankfulness is being spirit led. He only does what he sees his father doing. I guess his father allows thankfulness to permeate the kingdom. Here's some quick thoughts or quick lessons. Number one, thankfulness is led of the spirit. How many want to be spirit-led in your life? You want to be spirit-led? I can give you a default for every one of us. If you're not walking with a heart of thankfulness, you're already dismissing one of the spirit leadings in your life. But you don't know what I'm going through. I, I don't need to. Because ultimately, not in a calloused way, it doesn't matter. No matter what we're going through, Paul says, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. Not that everything that happens to you is God's will, but when you face it, that you're always thankful. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Number two, thankfulness honors the heart of the Father. And I can say this with confidence because Jesus would look to the Father and only do what the Father was doing. And over and over again, we see Jesus as a man of thankfulness. I guess it must be who our Father is too. I was in a church, it's been years ago. I'll never forget this because it, it like hurt religion in me. Don't you love it when religion gets hurt? Okay, relationship grows, but religion gets hit in the face. There was a word given. Somebody gave a word of wisdom. The Lord, you know, I, the Lord, want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for believing my promises. Thank you for trusting my word. Thank you for walking after me. And I found myself going, would he affirm us that much corporately with a word of knowledge? It was like hitting my, it was hitting my religion. I'm like, well, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't God speak that to us? He's a good God. We're in relationship with him. How amazing. With my God, Jesus displayed thankfulness and he followed the example of the father. Is it possible that the father's thankful? I've got two daughters. We work with them. We train them. We want to, them to be independent, strong women of God. There are times that I say thank you to them. Thank you. Thank you for doing that for your mom. Thank you for taking care of that. Thank you for spending time with them. And I really mean it. Just because Beth and I created them doesn't mean I'm not thankful for the things that they do that honor the family and honor his presence. And God created you, but are you telling me he's not thankful for you? And he actually loves you. He enjoys spending time with you. Your family might not want to, but he does. Number three, thankfulness takes our eyes off of our lack and it places them on our provider. It's so funny to me that we'll spend so much time focusing on what we don't have. That takes faith. It takes faith to look at a lack. Why not just turn the faith to look at the provider and see the lack annihilated? Thankfulness makes the miraculous possible in every situation, and thankfulness is a genuine demonstration of Christ-likeness. If you live your life in a thankful manner, that is like Jesus. That's what Christ-likeness is all about. And I've got a long way to grow to become the man of God that I want to be. Anybody else, you look at your life, you're like, Lord, I've got a long way to grow to reflect your character the way that I want to reflect your character. But one thing I can partner with is thankfulness. I'm like, I can do this. I can just be intentional in every moment about being more thankful in my life. Now, with that said, let's go to the final point, point six in the series. Thankfulness is heaven-like. And five and six really tie together because when you have Jesus looking toward the Father in heaven, we've got that image of not looking at earth and trying to figure out the problem, but looking toward heaven to see what heaven's doing. And if you do what heaven's doing, you have the solution for earth. Okay, so if Jesus looks to heaven and the immediate thing that he does is, thank you, Father, thank you. If that's what he does, then I wonder what we're going to see in heaven. Look in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. It says, whenever the living creatures, now if you read about these living creatures, um, one of them looks like a lion, one of them looks like an ox, one of them looks like an eagle, one of them it says they have the face of a man, but it doesn't tell us they have anything else like a man. So these creatures are always in the presence of God. That Man, you look like an ox, and that looks like a lion, and that guy's face looks right, but everything else is a little crazy. And as you keep reading, it says that their bodies are covered with eyeballs. I mean, this is like crazy stuff. 
Now, how did John even know what he was seeing? Well, Scripture says that John was on the island of Patmos. He was suffering in isolation because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he was taken up into the heavens in the spirit. So even though his body was still on this island in his spirit, he literally went into the heavens and he just wrote the things that he observed. And some of them were so crazy that he used the word like lots of times. It looked like this and like that because he was having a hard time defining what he was really seeing. How many of the Lord's ever shown you a vision, but you didn't quite get it? You're like, well, it was, it was like a river, but it wasn't really a river because people were standing on it. And I know you can't stand on a river. And John's going through this. It's like an ox and a lion and the face of a man. And then there was this eagle and there's these living creatures. And they give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. Now, doesn't glory and honor seem like good words for God when you're in his presence in heaven? God, we give you glory. We give you doxa. We, we acknowledge your splendid presence. God, we give you honor and reverence. We bow before you. And God, we give you thanks. It almost doesn't seem to fit if we don't start understanding the power of thanks in the kingdom. These living creatures, we... As far as we know, they don't spend time on earth. They've never been out of God's presence. What are they thanking God for? I mean, I, I've been redeemed. I was a sinner. Anybody else, were you a sinner? Off target, messed up, living for yourself, on your way to hell? And he saved me. I mean, I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. You've covered me by your blood. Thank you that you brought me from darkness to light and you changed my DNA and I'm a new creation. Thank you. That makes sense, doesn't it? What are these guys thanking God for? Maybe they're thanking him they've never had to leave his presence. Have you ever had a moment in the presence of God that you didn't want to end? Have you ever entered into his presence and you looked up and went, where did that two hours go? I'll never forget a few years ago, Beth and I were with a friend. We were hosting him in our home for a while, quite an intercessor guy. We're spending time. We're talking about the presence of the Lord. We're talking about angels. We're talking about, we're just talking about the beauty of his kingdom. And I guess it was around 1130 at night or midnight. And all of a sudden, as we're talking about the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Lord walks into the room. And you could just, and I'm sitting in the laid back, easy leather chair, and Beth's across the room in the other chair, and her friend's laid out on the couch because he was annihilated. And he's laying there, and she's sitting there, and, and I felt something touch my chest, and I slid down that chair, just no, no, no muscle left, just right onto the floor, and I laid there. It just kind of reminded me of cartoons when you see them become like slick rubber and they just slide down. And I just laid there and every once in a while I would feel this touch on my chest. It was just like, just the power of God. Well, as this was happening, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, the presence of the Lord's touching Beth and she's giggling. She's like, yeah. And it would happen over and over. And if you don't, if you don't know Beth, for her to laugh, it's a miracle. <laughs> she was just giggling. And our buddy's on the couch, and he's praying in languages that I've never heard of before. And it's just, and I, whoa! <laughs> and his presence was so beautiful in the room. 
And all of a sudden, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. You ready for this? I'll share it with you. I don't think I've ever shared it at Faith Chapel. The Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and the Lord said, you're not feeling my presence directly. You're feeling the reflection of my presence off of an angel that I released into the room. It was an angel of his presence that was touching me, and I couldn't stand, and it wasn't even God. It was a stinking angel. And the Lord said, the day is coming that you will carry my presence in such a way that people will receive from you what you're receiving from that angel. Like, come on, Lord. That's the kind of presence that when the apostle Peter would walk down the streets, they would say, just get the sick close enough that his shadow can touch him. I mean, the shadow isn't anything. It's the absence of something. And yet, they knew that if they got that close, just being close to the glory of the Lord would give them healing. I'll never forget it when that finally lifted and I was able to set up. And I just sat there and I felt like I had the best buzz hangover in Christ you could ever have. Okay? It was just, I'm just sitting there and we looked up and what was it? 4.30 or 5, it was 5 o'clock in the morning. We'd had five and a half hours in the presence of Jesus, and it felt like five minutes. I've always, I've heard about services that went forever, and you're like, dear Lord, how could you worship that long? Anybody else have enough carnality in them? You ever said that? They had a five-hour service. You're like, not if I was there, they didn't have no five-hour service. How do you do? It's timeless. It's not about minutes stacking. It's about minutes disappearing. It was just timelessness in the presence of God. These living creatures, thank you. Thank you that we get to be in your presence. Thank you that we get to see your glory. Thank you that we get to watch your plan unfold. Thank you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you thanks. Look in Revelation 7:11. See what I did there? Anybody want a slurpee now or a big gulp? All the angels were standing around the throne. And around the elders and the four living creatures. So now we've got angels, we've got elders, and we've got living creatures, those same crazy looking people. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, So be it. Praise and glory and wisdom and what? Thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God, we give you glory. God, we give you power. God, we give you strength. God, we give you praise. And say it with me. God, we give you thanks. And it's powerful. Revelation 11, 16 and 17. The 24 elders who were seated on their thrones. I don't even know why they have thrones. Because they're never on them. Every time you turn, they're getting off of them again to do this again. They're seated on their thrones before God. They fall on their faces and they worship him. We give thanks to you. El Shaddai, Lord Almighty, the one who was, who is, because you've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. This is the moment when he literally begins to bring heaven to earth and the nations come to Jerusalem to bring tribute to the king of kings. They're like, thank you, God, that it's happened. How many you know that God fulfills every promise that he's given? It's going to happen. Here's a, thing, here's a thought. Thankfulness is a central theme in heaven. And if we're going to make the earth more like heaven, 
it needs to be a central theme here. I guess we're summing up a whole month into the last couple of statements. What's the thankfulness barometer like at your house? Let's make it practical. What's the thankfulness barometer like at your house? Boy, it's quiet. Can you feel it? And if thankfulness is something that's a part of heaven, not only is it something that we need to be giving to God, but it's really something that we need to give to one another. I mean, God's word says that we honor those to whom honor is due, and yet honor is giving to God, but he expects us to honor people that we live with, that we work with. When's the last time that that person at work that drives you crazy that you thanked them for anything? Maybe they won't drive you as crazy if you start to thank them for the littlest things that they do. Pastor Brad, the only thing I'm thankful for is they're not breathing in my cubicle. All right. Well, let's start there. Let's start there. Let's find something that we can begin to be thankful for and let's change atmospheres. Psalm 136 verses 1 through 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. How long does his love endure? Give thanks to the God of gods because his love endures for how long? Give thanks to the Lord of Lord because how long does his love endure? Look at this. I give thanks to the Lord because he's good. I give thanks to the Lord because his love endures. I give thanks to the Lord because he's the God of gods. I give thanks to the Lord because he's the Lord of lords. There is always a reason to give thanks to God. Here's the thought. You always have a reason to give thanks to God because his love is always forever. You never have to say, God, do you love me? It's already been established. God, are you with me? Are you kidding me? In him you live and you move and you have your being. He hath said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He bought you. He purchased you. He loves you. You can count on that. No matter what you feel like, no matter what you're going through, God loves you. You're the apple of his eye. He keeps you in the shelter of his wing. And his love endures forever. You can trust him. Here's your final challenge. A life full of thankfulness overcomes a culture full of emptiness. Have you noticed yet that we live in an empty culture? It's never enough. They're never satisfied. The needs are never... It's a culture of emptiness. If you're not careful, you'll begin to partner with that attitude as well. You'll compare what you have to what somebody else has, and you'll find reasons to not be thankful. But if we keep our eyes on the king and we recognize that thankfulness itself is the atmosphere of heaven, then thankfulness can be the atmosphere of earth. Right here, right now. Every moment can be a moment for thanks. Can I get an amen? If I get an amen, I'll be done. That's one of the stronger ones I've had in a while. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. As your friend, your pastor, brother in the Lord, I'm, I'm committed to this not just in the month of November, but I'm, I'm committed to this being the culture of my life and the culture in my home. And I'm challenging you to join me in it. Let's, let's be the group of people that we're still thankful in January when it's minus 10 degrees and it's snowy and icy and miserable and you just want to die. Let's be thankful then. <laughs> Anybody else, are your emotions and attitude ever affected by the weather? 
How many of you are still saying, I can't believe it's this dark this early? And see, okay. Guys, anything can affect us. Let's walk with thankfulness. Let's stand together. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not saying that I'm doing this great, but I'm going to work a lot harder at doing it right. And uh, I want Jesus to be seen in me. And if we're the body of Christ, and according to Scripture, we are, and if, people, if, you're, if we're going, hey, we need Jesus on earth, guess what? We're here to be Jesus on earth. That's what we're here for. And if Jesus was thankful, then it's time that we be thankful. And if we walk in that thankfulness, my goodness, how many miracles are going to be released upon his people and through his people?